ahead and pick this game, okay? We're all picking the Commanders. Bears fans will be rejoicing in getting a win here in Washington. Oh, boy. Listen, we're all on the same team. Uh-oh. Love and zone. Intercepted. Good night. We might be all on the 49ers. Nah. And it looks like we are. 30 steps through. Floats in. He's picked. And that's it. All of us are picking the Bills. Did you guys see that? Everybody on the Bills. And the Broncos have come to Buffalo. And they're going to leave with a win. Once again, the NFL Live curse could be alive and well, but I don't know. We're all in the jack. Fearson got it. And this game is over. I don't think this is going to be an easy matchup for the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee, an improbable comeback victory. Oh, no. We are all on the same team. The kick, the win for the Giants. We ain't got to be right on predictions. People play the game. This curse is nuts, okay? Everyone is <laughs> a game-ending field goal. I don't get it. Seven times this year, we always say we're going to be different, and, and we don't. And the NFL Live curse continues as we were once again. Different. All right, we'll see if you do. I'm going to hold you to that. All right, so here we are. Dan Orlovsky's here, and we're responsible for the other game, that uh, Packers-Giants game, and the Giants win. Mina was the one responsible for the Miami one. All right, but here's the news of the day. You hate to see this. Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert out for the season now, undergoing season-ending surgery today on his fractured right index finger, the injury he suffered on Sunday. Our NFL insider Dan Graziano is here with us. Graz, what else do we need to know about the situation with Herbert? Yeah, they placed him on injured reserve, which is a minimum of four games missed, and there's only four games left in the season, so Justin Herbert out for the season, as you said, Laura. Uh, head coach Brandon Staley said after the game Sunday they would do what's in the best interest of Herbert long term uh, and this repair on the broken finger is what they decided fit that description so at five and eight uh, it looks like the Chargers are going to miss the playoffs almost certainly at five and eight without their starting quarterback and that leads to some questions obviously about the future there uh, in LA Herbert is signed long term he signed this offseason but that is a spot where we are watching for a potential change uh, a head coach three seasons disappointing seasons under Brandon Staley uh, and and you know potential changes in the front office so a lot of questions around what the team will look like around Justin Herbert going forward he is expected to be back in time for next year um, but yes a, a lot of uncertainty in that situation other than him all right, Graz, you're with us all show long, so more from you to come. Despite the Chargers' 5-8 and eight record, Herbert ranks fifth in the NFL in total QBR. With his season now over, it means that he's had a QBR over at least 60 in all four of his NFL seasons. The only other quarterbacks who are on pace to do that are Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Dak Prescott. It, it does tell you just the company that Herbert's in when it comes to talent and the type of quarterback that he is. Dan, considering all that, what does this mean for the Chargers organization? Well, it's a results-based business. This feels like the beginning of the end. You heard Graz talk about they're 5-8 and eight right now, four games left. It was a long shot to get in with them. And with the situation now with Justin, like the timing of this becomes very fascinating if they move on from Brandon Staley. This is not like when Miami fired their coach when Tua was younger, Jared Goff with Sean McVay. They don't have to hire an offensive-minded coach strictly to rebuild their young quarterback. <laughs> Justin's bald for four years, yet they haven't won. So this isn't because, hey, we've got this young quarterback and we got to hire the right guy for him. So I just think the timing of the likely move for the Chargers and who they hire is as fascinating as does it have to be the offensive or defensive-minded guy. Yeah. And in some ways, it's, it seems like such a desirable job, obviously one of the better young quarterbacks in football. 
But in other ways, when I look at this roster, I see a lot of flaws. And you start to feel like it wasn't just coaching or whatnot that has led to the lack of success in recent years. The draft classes outside of Thule this season, a couple of the offensive linemen yeah. have not been fantastic. Uh, it's a very top-heavy roster. Dan, this year, Herbert's three leading receivers were Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, and Gerald Everett. That's the oldest trio of leading receivers in the NFL. Obviously, they lost Mike Williams, but he's no spring chicken himself. Then, because of the J.C. Jackson trade, you are $44 million over the cap next year. He's gone, but the dead money remains. So, to Dan's point, um, you know, coaching is obviously getting a lot of scrutiny, but I think the front office also deserves a lot of scrutiny and also complicates this job for the next, potentially the next uh, regime. Yeah, MK, I think that Justin Herbert is one of those quarterbacks that doesn't have to be scheme dependent. He could play in a lot. Yeah. If they move on from Brandon Staley, you're going to hear Ben Johnson, potentially Kellen Moore, Gerard Johnson, who's the quarterback coach for the Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud playing so well, Bobby Slowick, their offensive coordinator. I don't know if there's a – I don't believe there's a specific offense that he needs to play in but it has to be one that is built on play-action chunk pass game. Uh, not a shocker there. You mentioned all offensive guys uh, to take over there, which would be Yeah, I don't know. Staley, I, it doesn't have to be offensive yeah. for me. Okay, love it. All right, let's get back to last night in Monday Night Football. We go to South Beach. There were two games, but we'll start with this one in the doubleheader between the Dolphins and the Titans. Will Levis, the rookie for the Titans, and a big opportunity as the Dolphins felt like they had a really good path in this one, but... Dolphins nursing a 7-0 lead thanks to a defensive pick six and a simple screen to Tyreek Hill takes a turn for the worst. You can feel all the energy go out of the place when the fans saw this. Hill dragged down by Sean Murphy Bunting, losing six yards on the play. The bigger story, though, is seeing Hill on the ground in pain. I was on the sideline, Graz, and watching this happen, you felt like you, you hoped it wouldn't be for the worst. What do we know now about Tyreek Hill a few hours later from then? Well, obviously, Laura, as you know, he was able to come back into the game, although he wasn't obviously himself, and, and he had to come in and out throughout the second half. Uh, he credited adrenaline uh, for that uh, post-game and said uh, they would run some tests, which they have done today. Their head coach, uh, Mike McDaniel, had a press conference earlier today where he described Hill as day-to-day. -day. They have to see how he gets through the week of practice. Uh, there's obviously a possibility that this ankle injury will force him to miss time. McDaniel said he would never rule Hill out given his history, but they have to monitor him throughout the week. I would expect him to miss some practice time, and we'll know more toward the end of the week. Another injury came out of that game. Their center, Connor Williams, McDaniel announced earlier today, has torn his ACL, and he mm -hmm. will miss the rest of the season. So a costly game for Miami, not just in the standings. Yeah, we'll get to that part two of the rest of this game that we want to tell you about here. Late in the fourth quarter, the Titans down seven. The wheels appear to be falling off for Tennessee after a bad exchange from Levis to Derrick Henry. Dolphins look to be in cruise control from here on out. They're celebrating. They're doing all kinds of fun things. Titans down 14, under three minutes remaining. Levis, calm, cool, collected, finds his veteran receiver DeAndre Hopkins, and Dan Orlovsky had an interesting take. This is really smart by Mike Vrabel. Going for two here, because if you go for two, get it, you cut it to six points, you basically give yourself a chance. We score extra point, wins the game. If we don't get it, then we know, hey, we still have the chance to get the tie. He's right. going for the win. Analytically, this is what makes sense. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just emotional. It's just so... Dan, I'm just so proud. I'm just so uh, see, proud. I, I do <laughs> you listen. You explained it so see? well. Yeah, I pay attention. <laughs>
I, just so what everybody are, what knows. What a delightful case study. I, I was. I am not the person who knows that. I only knew to say that because of Mina. <laughs> I love it. Give her that credit. Well, she deserves it, it. It's working. Yeah. yeah. Uh, guys, I, no, I it's was, great. I it's was, great to see coaches do it more than ever. Yeah. I was literally down there uh, on the field cheering, thinking about Mina giving that knowledge to Dan. And <laughs> I used to fight her on it. I'm like, that's not the right thing to do. And she'd yeah. guess it up big. No, it's not. <laughs> right, so this game was unbelievable. Let's see how it ended, okay? Uh, analytical Dan says go for two. The Titans do. Levitt's <laughs> finding Dan. Nick Westbrook and Kine in the corner. The Titans are within Love six it. now. So after a quick three and out by Miami, the Titans ball with a little over two minutes remaining. This is why Hopkins was brought in for drives such as this. He picks up a gain of 36. He still has it, okay? The Titans get down to the Dolphins' three. They hand it off to their freight train in Henry. He barrels into the end zone. That's his second touchdown of the night. In the blink of an eye, the Titans have a one-point lead, and <laughs> Rabel loves it. One last gasp for Miami. Fourth and two, the game on the line, and then a sack there for Tua Tungavailoa. You can't do that. It's the Titans who pull off the 14-point comeback, the third-largest comeback in Monday Night Football history. And Miami only ran 13 offensive plays before Tyreek Hill left, but they were clicking, averaging more than nine yards per pass attempt and nearly seven yards per rush to start the game. Both of those dropped at least two yards after Hill's injury, even once he returned to the game. As Graz mentioned, he came back out there. After the injury, the Dolphins converted on just 25% of their third downs. They were out of sync, and you could really see even Chris Fowler, who, of course, was the play-by-play of the game. He mentioned if you're wanting a case for Tyreek Hill as MVP, look at the difference yeah. with him in and out of the mm -hmm. game. But the, also the other news, Dan, the Connor Williams ACL injury, now their starting center is out. They're down now four starting offensive linemen. Tyreek Hill day-to-day. -day. What does it all mean for Miami with this really crucial stretch coming forward? The Connor Williams injury is huge because when we speak with them, and ask, hey, there's a couple games that you guys have bogged down on offense, Philadelphia being one, Buffalo, why? To a man, every one of them says, when our operation gets slow in and out of the huddle, mm -hmm. when our operation gets slow at the line yeah. of scrimmage, because there's a lot going on. They're yeah. trying to get into perfect plays. Connor Williams, the center, is a huge part of that. The guy that understands exactly how Tua is communicating, and we're getting to this play, and then it's like the game of telephone. That we're getting this. You're responsible for this blocking assignment. So... I'm not saying it's the end of the world. That's, that's a, a big point. loss. And, and, Mina, like, watching that game last night, you felt when Tyreek went out, mm. it was almost oh my like, God. hey, our playbook is the Cheesecake Factory with him, <laughs> you know? And then when he goes away, it felt like we're now five guys. There's, like, three or four options for us to get to. Both good options. Anyway, yeah. Go ahead, Mina. Yeah, I was going to say, usually when there's less options, the menu's better, but I, I won't get into it. Um, I, I think what... Uh, Connor Williams, what's so fascinating is the loss of Williams makes Tyreek Hill's presence even more, and his health, more important, which sounds kind of confusing because he's a wide receiver and you're talking about the offensive line. But the reality is, even with him, this offensive line is not one of the better groups in football. However, Tua Tagovailoa has been one of the least pressured quarterbacks in football because he's able to get the ball out so quickly right. and downfield. And he's able to do that in large part because of the presence of Tyreek Hill, not just because he gets open quickly, Dan, but because when he is on the field, it completely dictates how yeah. defenses play them. When you take him off, suddenly the picture can be muddled, guys can be covered up, and you get Tua holding onto the ball just a tick longer, but mm. just that tick longer mm -hmm. is why he was pressured on 44% of snaps, mm. which was by far far the most he's been pressured this season. And I think we saw that on the final drive that Miami had it before the two-minute drill. He wasn't on the field. They ran. They went run, run, first yeah. and second down. Tennessee knew it. 
it's almost like he's their LeBron. He controls the game. You know, pre-snap, Tennessee, where is, where is Tyreek Hill? And then where's he motioning yes. to? You got so many eyes. So you're controlling the defense pre-snap. Ball gets snapped, and everyone, it's like a gravitational pull. They're, they're paying attention to him. It's like how LeBron controls the basketball game. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, when he went out, they lost control of that game. And that's going to be how they figure out this next couple weeks whether he's 100% or not. Yeah, I talked to Tua's father pregame, and one of the things he said really stuck out. He credited Mike McDaniel for rebuilding Tua's confidence, but the other person he said, Tyreek Tyree Hill. Hill sure. it, you can just tell how reliant mm. Tua is on his receiver, and it makes a whole lot of sense. Hey, we're just getting started on NFL Live on this Tuesday. Glad you're with us. The Eagles have lost two straight NFC showdowns after Sunday's blowout loss to the Cowboys. Dan heads to the touch to show us what Jalen Hurts is missing. You don't want to miss this. Plus, the Packers suffered a loss yesterday after a late-game drive by Tommy DeVito and the Giants. Hear why Mina thinks Green Bay's defense looks so off. We'll explain a little love for Literally. Tommy DeVito, too. We'll be right back. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Amazing grace, how sweet. Reggie is the greatest defender of all time. He wanted to be a man of God, and he wanted to win the Super Bowl. Like me. Get away from the field, Reggie gets a little more complicated. What I'm learning now, based on what I was teaching then, I misled people. But now I see. 30 for 30 presents the Minister of Defense. Cannot wait for that. Also, a special big man balling with Marcus Spears coming your way. You don't want to miss it tomorrow. Let's get back to the Monday Night Football action. The doubleheader oh. featuring the Packers and the Giants. Let's do this one. A ball security was a problem for Green Bay in this one. Jordan Love throwing it deep, but intercepted by Jason Pinnock there. He's been so good over the last month, decision-making-wise and the type yeah. of throw necessary. Poor decision, a really poor throw in that situation. Third quarter, Packers up 10-7. Giants punting on their opening possession of the half, but Keyshawn Nixon muffs the punt. It's a scramble for the ball, and the Giants recover. New York now with great field position. The Packers were down a lot of key players in this one, and it showed in some big ways. 
Three plays later, the Giants on the one, and Saquon Barkley takes the handoff, powering in for the touchdown. Giants going up 14 to 10. First of all, unbelievable jerseys by the New York Giants. Saquon in that offense ran the ball really well last night. A minute 35 left in the fourth. Packers down 21 to 16. Third and goal, and Love throwing to Malik Heath makes the catch at the goal line. The go-ahead touchdown. So the Packers take the 22 to 21 lead late. What a, the action in both of the games last night was unbelievable. There's Tommy DeVito though throwing to Wondell Robinson. Great out at the Green Bay 22-yard line, a 32-yard gain. DeVito family loved it, and the Giants now in field goal range. They make the field goal, and Giants win 24-22. All right, we see it there in New York. Uh, who had the highest total QBR of any quarterback in Week 14, Dan? Tommy DeVito. Thank you. The Giants are now 3-1 and one with DeVito starting. Oh, lightly. Yeah, 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 in Week 14. Uh, DeVito's averaging more than 20 points per game with a plus 10 turnover differential. They went 2-7 and seven with Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor getting the start, averaging just 11 points a game. You want to compare and contrast there. So, how did the Packers' defense allow this to happen, Dan? Lack of second-half adjustments for me was a big deal. I mean, they couldn't cover Wondell Robinson at all. He made a bunch of big plays. First half, you saw a ton of quarterback runs. Some of it was designed, and some of it was Tommy DeVito using his legs. Okay, so I give him a little grace in the first half. You don't have a ton of tape on the young man. Maybe you were caught off guard and surprised by it. It kept going in the second half. There was never an adjustment to the designed run. There was never a, a, a spy that was delegated towards him. They didn't have a plan for Brian Dable's zone read plan. And I just was shocked by how little adjustment happened from Green Bay's defense when it came to, it was very clear, Tommy DeVito was going to use his legs in any situation, and they never did anything to try to counter it. 13 is the number of times they ran zone read. And according to Stats and Info, they averaged more yards per play than any offense in the NFL when Ooh. doing so with Tommy DeVito. I mean, the first few times I was surprised too, Dan. I don't think of him as being a prolific right. dual threat. But by the second half, I was just What do we have like, halftime for? Come on, guys. What are we doing here? Yeah. And I think what's so infuriating about watching this defense is We've seen this movie before mm -hmm. with giving up easy runs, designed runs to court for years now to dual threat quarterbacks. We've seen them do, yeah, with Daniel Jones. We've seen them at the end of the game on that final drive, the enormous cushions that they were seeding despite the fact that the Giants only had to get into field goal territory, uh, uh, letting Tommy DeVito just dink and dunk down the field. I, I don't know what it's going to take, what it's going to take for Green Bay to stop playing that style of passive defense in big moments. But if it's infuriating for you and me to watch it and say the same things, I can only imagine how infuriating it is for that fan base to see this unit continue to have the same problems yeah. season after season despite their talent. It makes the two-minute drill, which ends up being the game winner that he leads, easy. Every quarterback gets the line of scrimmage in a two-minute drill going, will you guys please give me completions? And that's all that they did. They once again never made him make one big-time throw. Credit to DeVito. That was fun for no him doubt. and for the family. By the way, the Packers' playoff chances dropped from 68% to 47% after that game last night. So that's how consequential it was. Every Tuesday, we take a couple Thanks. minutes to figure out what went wrong for some of Sunday's losing teams. Let's start with the Lions, who lost 28-13 to on the road in Chicago. Mina, what went wrong? 
Yeah, the defense has struggled, but for this one for me was about the offense, a real letdown performance, and I think it can be boiled down to one thing, which is Jared Goff has really struggled when pressured since week seven, worst QBR in the NFL when pressured, and this Lions offensive line, which we've thought of as being a strength and granted as some injuries, also struggled. Ranks near the bottom of the NFL and pass block win rates since then. The combination of those two things is a problem for this offense. To the Jaguars next, where Jacksonville dropped a road game to Joe Flacco and the Browns 31-27. Dan, what went wrong there? The second level defense. Bad communication, bad eyes, bad discipline. Multiple examples of it when Cleveland got after their defense. Watch the second level. This is a drop back pass and they're just going to blitz the safety and swing the tail back out. They have a tight end sit over the ball. Receiver's going to push vertical. They're going to double team the tight end. Someone has to be responsible for the back with bad eyes or bad plan, bad communication. That's an easy completion early on in that football game. This is the Njoku touchdown that Mina talked about yesterday. We have the safety triggering off the edge again, defensive end hitting them but not doing anything else, and then the front side linebacker triggering. Nobody covering the tight end in responsibility. So again, there's got to be bad eyes discipline there. There's got to be bad communication plan-wise. Those are two of the first six offensive snaps. A little bit later, again, playing man-to-man coverage. This is a play-action in-breaking route. We're double-teaming the tight end to the flat. The middle of the field is wide open. This is easy for a guy like Joe Flacco. And then the pull with the backside tight end on the crossing route. Again, they're going to end up double-teaming one guy and not covering another guy. So that's second level. And here's the worst part. The blown coverages happened in Houston early on in the season, and they lost. That's the second loss this year in many ways because of blown coverages. Still to come on NFL Live, our NFL draft analyst Matt Miller released a brand-new mock draft today. We're going to talk about those couple quarterbacks who were at the top, some that might surprise you. It could be closer than you think, and who could make a run? Well, maybe that guy pounding his chest right there. We'll see what happens. Matt Miller joining us next. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. The Caleb Williams Show. They've certainly got the crown jewel of this class. The Drake May era will get underway. Goes to the end zone. And that's what Caleb Williams does. Drake May is a player to watch in college football, ladies and gentlemen. We strike in the floor. Disrespect me. You're not the same. 
always has an answer whenever there's a problem. Watch out, open field! It's special. He's almost unstoppable. I'm on the throne now, and I ain't never coming on. I love this. Let's talk a little draft. Matt Miller's latest mock draft was released this morning. With the pick acquired from the Panthers, he has the Bears taking USC quarterback Caleb Williams, the first of three quarterbacks off the board in the first four picks. He has UNC's Drake May going to the Patriots' second, and the Heisman winner, Jaden Daniels, going to the Giants' fourth. Top five is all offense, and those are all places where there are some quarterbacks currently who have made some money. It's a little spicy, but this is what we're going to do for the next few months as we welcome in our NFL draft analyst, Matt Miller. Matt, what is it about Caleb Williams that makes him the clear first overall pick in this year's draft for you? It's that ability to create, Laurie. It's what he does inside, outside of the pocket. You're going to watch him play USC and surprisingly not surrounded by a lot of great offensive talent. The offensive line play there, we're not going to hear any of those names called early in the draft. So his ability to extend plays, to make things happen, there are four to five throws per game where you set your pen down and you just say, wow, at his ability to extend the play, to have that great field vision, to make some throws back across his body. Yes, he holds the ball too long. I'm sure you're watching these highlights and thinking that, Dan. He's got to get the ball a little bit faster. But in terms of arm talent, creativity, and field vision, it's really, really rare what Caleb's already able to do as a quarterback prospect. I agree with a lot of the things that you said. I'll ask you about Drake May in this conversation. Is there something that he does better than Caleb? And why is he stuck at two? Yeah, I think Drake plays better from within the pocket right now. Just like that boom, boom, boom. Playing on schedule, Drake May is a little bit better. The, the questions that I have, and I hear this from NFL scouts too with Drake May, is he's just inconsistent with his ball placement at times. And we saw that this year. His numbers dropped 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions. That was a, a bit of a decline for him. They ran the ball a little bit more this year. He had 500 yards, nine rushing touchdowns. But you want a little bit more. There are times watching him play, you see the Justin Herbert size and arm. You see the Josh Allen-like mobility at times. But also, I watch and I just want a little bit more consistency, a little bit more efficiency from watching Drake May play. Raw mechanically? Yeah, not as raw mechanically, not Josh Allen raw. We're not talking like Wyoming Josh. I think, you know, the arm angle, he's able to adjust. He's able to find different windows. But I think where the inconsistency in that ball placement shows up is he's rushing things at times. The the weird thing about both these quarterbacks, neither had a great offensive line. And that's going to show up time and time again as we dive into these evaluations. I think that's the difference with Drake. He rushed behind a bad offensive line left some throws out there on the field, whereas Caleb is able to move around and he moves to throw. I've heard you say that a lot, Dan. Moves to throw, not just moves to run. Yeah, different levels of talent, obviously, but remember Will Levis had that bad O-line at Kentucky. We saw him a pretty good performance last night on Monday Night Football. I'm curious about Jaden Daniels, Matt, because you have him fourth to the Giants. You think he could sort of help his case and get into that top two territory maybe as we get closer to draft time? Oh, absolutely. And I know you got to see him a ton in the SEC. I think he was the most improved player in college football this past year. Not just the best player winning the Heisman Trophy, but most improved. And it showed up in the pocket, playing better from within the pocket. We knew he was a great runner when he left Arizona State. We knew he was a great deep ball thrower, but he really completed his game. My favorite stat, guys, 22 touchdowns, zero interceptions on throws 20 yards down the field. So he's attacking all levels of the field. He uses his legs to set that up. He is a leaner framed 
quarterback. He's listed at 210 pounds. We're going to have to see where that is when he gets to the senior bowl or the combine. That's probably the biggest question mark, but he is absolutely in the mix. I, I do think it will come down to whichever that team is drafting number two overall. The conversation of Drake May, a little more inexperienced. Jaden Daniels, much more experienced. But again, that lean body type will bring up some question marks. Hey, real quick, compare him to Lamar Jackson for me. Better passer, lesser athlete? Yes, absolutely. You're still in my comps, Dan. You're, you're taking my job here. You're, you're spot on there. I think the running ability reminds you of Lamar. Uh, also, that lean body type. Uh, I think he is much more efficient as a passer. Mechanically, he's ahead of where Lamar was at Louisville, but he's he's not running like Lamar, but I don't know that anyone is. Yeah, a little peek inside uh, just the coaching standpoint from Jaden Daniels. Brian Kelly would tell you that they wanted Daniels to take more risks. They were trying to get that out of him a little bit because they saw the skill set and the talent there, and he wanted to be careful, which is probably a really nice mix for a team that would get him in and coach him up at the next level. All right, let's do a little Ask Matt. It's our first time to get to do this, and this is where we have our analysts ask Matt any question they want about the mock draft that you just put out. So, Mina, we're going to start with you. What do you want to know? <laughs> uh, I want to know where you got that photo. Uh, now, I want to ask you about this great wide receiver <laughs> right. class. Uh, I think we all agree Marvin Harrison Jr. goes first overall. But, uh, Matt, my belief is some of the next tier, particularly Malik Neighbors, Keon Coleman, and Rome Odunze, go dogs would go first overall in other classes. Do you think there's a clear number two wide receiver, or do you think it's going to come down to the preference of the teams, potentially things that happen between now and the draft? Yeah, I mean, I love you sneaking in the go dogs. Roma Dunze was amazing this year. I do think that those three players you mentioned are all really clustered together. I personally have a hard time separating them because Keon Coleman's six foot four, but he was FSU's punt returner. So he's so electric and explosive. Malik Neighbors has the best yards after catchability in the class, and Rome is just a dog. I mean, he is so good on the 50-50 balls, the back shoulder fade. So I do think, like you said, it's going to come down to team preference. If you're looking for more of a yak guy, you're going to go to Malik Neighbors. If you're looking for someone to win down the, you know, the field on the mm. physical routes, Keon Coleman and Roma Dunze are, are the guys you're going to be fighting over a little bit. Brock Bowers, go dogs. Uh, <laughs> Brock Bowers, is, is he going to be seen as a real tight end or is he going to be seen as a stand-up slot receiver? Real tight end. And let's remember, there were times in 2022 he played tailback for Georgia because they just wanted to get this dude the football. So I see him, Dan, as more of a George Kittle. Not quite that level of a blocker, not yet at least, but someone that can play in line. You can move him all over in motion. You can flex him out. And he was the best pass catcher at Georgia the last three years. They really schemed around the tight end. So I know there's going to be a lot of conversation about guys like Kyle Pitts that haven't really lived up to their draft stock. But I look at guys like Sam. Laporta, who's having a great rookie year for the Detroit Lions. And I think Bowers is a plus version of Laporta. So he should wow. still be, you know, my number six player, he should still be drafted very early. Yeah, by the way, he loves the physicality wow. of blocking. So I think he'll get even better at that area. You can see the full mock from Matt on ESPN.com. More of this to come as we get closer to the draft. But let's get back to our top stories this Tuesday. In the aftermath of the controversial offsides call in the Bills-Chiefs game that, would, that negated what would have been a potential game-winning touchdown cooler heads are now prevailing Patrick Mahomes has had some time to think about this reaction you're seeing on the screen that he had in the heat of the moment you know, obviously you don't want to react that way I just I mean I care man I love it I love I love this game I love my teammates and I, I want to go out there and put everything on the line to win 
Um, but uh, obviously can't can't do that. I mean, can't be that way towards officials or really anybody in, in life. Um, so I probably regret acting like that. Um, but more than anything, I mean, I, re- I regretted the way I, I acted towards uh, Josh after the game because he had nothing, nothing to do with it. And um, so I, I was uh, I, I was still hot and emotional. Um, but you can't do that, man. All right, so Mahomes apologizes, but is it too little too late? Dan Graziano back with us. Dan, do we know if the league is looking into Mahomes' post-game comments criticizing the refs on Sunday? They are, and it's pretty standard operating procedure. Mahomes and Andy Reid both critical of the officials, and we have seen in the past the league fine coaches and players uh, for such comments. Now, a couple things to pay attention to. One, neither is, uh, from what I understand, a repeat offender, uh, and that obviously works in their favor. Two, they generally give the players a lot of leeway in those post-game comments. The thing to watch, if Mahomes said something that they deem abusive to an official while he was still on the sideline here, then he could probably face a fine, but we don't know for a fact that that happened, so uh, it may be a big uh, much to do about nothing. Justin Herbert, the Chargers quarterback, uh, he is out for the season, had surgery today to repair a broken index finger on his right hand. He will miss the rest of the season. It'll be Easton Stick going forward for the Chargers starting Thursday night against the Raiders. Texas quarterback C.J. Stroud had to leave Sunday's game against the Jets. He's in the concussion protocol. He took a hit, hit his head on the ground. Uh, too soon to know whether he might be able to play this week. Concussion protocol is different for every single player in terms of how they progress through it. So keep an eye on the practice reports out of Houston to see what Stroud is able to do, if anything, this week. And Geno Smith, the Seahawks quarterback, missed Sunday's game against the Niners with a groin injury. You see him here. He was warming up on the field before the game. That warm-up was pretty encouraging from what I understand. And remember this, Laura. The Seahawks game against the Eagles, which was originally scheduled to be played on Sunday, has been moved to Monday night, giving Geno potentially another day uh, to get healthy in time uh, for that. So one more bit of quarterback news. The Minnesota Vikings just within the last half hour announcing that Nick Mullins will be their starting quarterback for this week's game. Okay, great stuff, Graz. Thanks for everything. Coming up on NFL Live, after suffering another blowout loss to an NFC contender, is it time to hit the panic button in Philly? Dan tells you why their Super Bowl aspirations could be in jeopardy. He's headed to the touch. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
Let's talk the NFC East showdown. The Eagles versus the Cowboys, a huge one. I think Philadelphia offensively has a poor scheme. You know, I feel like we put ourselves in good position many a times and we turn the ball over. Hurts is still running to the 20. Ball's, Ball's out. out. Ball's out. Cowboys have a fumble at the 20. They don't have any stoppers on mm. defense. There's no closers on that defense. They got us. And that's just point blank period. Adversity can do a couple things to you. It can it can uh, break you or it can it can make you way better. After a 10 and one start, the Eagles have lost two straight with their offense generating only 12 and a half points per game. A couple red flags to watch for. They're averaging a half yard less per rush in their last two games and scoring touchdowns on 40% of their red zone drives. Dan, what's the tape show you about the Eagles' offensive struggles? Pass game-wise, it's forcing the football in their drop-back indoor play-action game. And it happens to a lot of young quarterbacks that have a ton of success. Go, They're going to motion A.J. Brown over. This is like third and four, third and five from the other day. Now, the pass concept is going to be this, a short in and then a slot fade. When we read this and it's man-to-man coverage, we read this low to high because that low route in man happens before the high route. The other thing is this. Laura, see how far that guy is off? That's not a good matchup for us. Now, Jalen drops back. Okay, number one is wide open. And there's this saying in football, never pass up an open guy for a guy that you think is going to be more open. Third and four, we got a first down conversion. But for some reason, Jalen Hurts takes the shot downfield to A.J. Brown, and it's a really wasted incompletion. Last year, Jalen throws that ball. He doesn't force it downfield to A.J. Brown. Second clip. This is what we a play we call Hank, okay? This is starting reception-wise or read-wise. It's number one to number two to number three. You start over the ball. That linebacker takes him. Okay, this flat defender widens with number three. Number two is going to be wide open, Jalen Hurts. But for some reason, Jalen doesn't let the ball out of his hands. Last year, that ball gets pinned on to Dallas Goddard for a completion. Sack, next play is going to be a fumble. We get no points out of it. And then the third clip. Jalen Hurts, we want to go play action pass. Let's get Devontae Smith and his speed going down the field for a nice deep out route. You get great protection. I love it. Two things. Okay, number one, Stephon Gilmore ran this route. He is outside leverage right now. This play's dead. Really, that flat defender is 13 yards deep. That ball should get checked down to the tailback by Jalen Hurts, but for some reason, he forces that football down the field. So there's multiple examples of, hey, are we passing up completions to try to force other completions? Are we not seeing it clearly like we did last year? Are we leaving clean pockets too early? And then I think the forcing of the football downfield instead of taking some of those checkdowns, that's a, an example of a quarterback in my eyes who thinks my offense isn't working the way that I want it to, and I'm going to force, force it, it yeah. to in many ways. Hmm. Yeah, I, what you just described, it shows up all over the passing game. I, I've found it to be especially glaring on first down where the Eagles have the fifth worst passing offense in football which blows my mind by the way because you would think on first down given what they're able to do with the run that they would have not only easier coverages but everything on the table but they've been awful and and, and Dan I really believe to your point it's because Jalen Hurts is forcing it on first down he has the second highest average depth of target in the NFL it is up from last season so as you said he's trying to take shots sometimes passing up easier completions and then this is the other thing I think that might be impacting that again on when he throws on first down he's going to AJ or Devonte Smith over 60% of the time which mm. is up from last year when it was below 48% that might not sound like a lot 
But when defenses are making a concerted effort to take away those two receivers, it completely changes the picture for Hertz, and it reduces the margin uh, for error. If one of the receivers, like Smith, doesn't have the greatest game and maybe has a couple right. of drops here and there, if you are forcing the ball to those two players downfield an overwhel overwhelming amount of the time, you're going to end a lot of series unsuccessfully. Yeah, he, he, everything that kind of like the tape, what I just showed, hearing you talk, MK, it just screams you're trying to kind of fabricate offense for you. you, you okay, so you said they were fifth right. worst on first down or his completion percentage. What was that stat? Yes. The EPA per play, they're the fifth worst passing offense on first down in the NFL. I would love to know what they were last year, you know, in regards to that. I bet you they were complete Better. opposite. Yeah. <laughs> um, Better. You know, I think we've, we've talked about this a little bit. So last year, this was not a creative offense, right? Like no, none of us sat here and said, man, these are X's and O's geniuses. They didn't need to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were so physically dominant that execution was their kind of main key. They're, they're not that this year. And so that's why I said yesterday, like this, this offense, th this scheme needs more creativity. They, they need more easy. Mina's talking about he's throwing down the ball downfield so much on early downs. There's no easy throws for efficiency. That's where I think they've got to be really, I guess, self-scouting over the next couple weeks. Yeah, so it was interesting when the Chiefs-Eagles game happened, and, of course, Dallas Goddard was out for that game. They were talking about even trying to use Julio Jones a little bit more. Mina, you identified that they're uh, trying yeah. to target so much of Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. You think Goddard, it's only his first game back, you think he helps as being another option there? Absolutely helps. Really important. But they need to get contributions from other players as well. Dan, I was asking you about this. I, I, I don't know why they don't use the backs in the passing game in this offense. They didn't really do it last year either, but it didn't matter. But to me, it feels like that's something they should go to, especially as they learn they try to expand their RPO menu, which has also not been as successful as last year. Yeah, so it's really a case of like need to versus want to. They need to. Last year, they could if they wanted to. Yeah. They didn't need to. This year, they need to. Mina, I, I said this to you guys before. The most boring quarterback in football this year, in a good way, is Dak Prescott. He's the most boring guy in football. I know what his box score is going to look like. Jalen, and really this early down pass game, needs to get way more boring execution-wise yeah. and innovative creative-wise. Hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe boring leads to the MVP for that guy you're talking about, Dak Prescott. Eagles fans don't want to hear that. All right, we'll see what they can get done. They do have an easy schedule coming forward. Still to come here on NFL Live, the Broncos defense racked up six sacks in a dominant AFC West win over the Chargers. Mina tells us why Denver's pass rush has been so successful. Watch out for these Broncos. We've got more NFL Live on the way. Yeah, Broncos. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. 
Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. Next week, we'll be in Seattle at Lumen Field, the home of the 12s, for a big NFC matchup between Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and DK Metcalf and the Seahawks. It's 8 Eastern on ABC, ESPN, ESPN Deportes, of course, and Peyton and Eli once again on ESPN2. Let's talk a little bit about Denver here. The Broncos entered the season with a 32% chance to make the playoffs for ESPN Analytics. After a 1-5 start, those chances had plummeted to a 0.2%. But now their current 45% chance to make the playoffs is their highest mark this season. What a rebound it's been for the Broncos. And Mina, how has this team kind of clawed its way back into the yeah. playoff picture? It's the defense. The offense was never the problem. They're always fine. But the defense was incredibly uh, bad the first few weeks of the season. And then Vance Joseph's unit has really turned it around since then for a few reasons. Turnovers, they've gotten them, and that tends to help. Uh, but some of it is personnel. He's figured out the right grouping on the back end, changing some of the starters. Uh, Fabian Moreau, corner on the outside. Jaquan McMillan in the slot, who has been an absolute revelation for this yeah. team, one of the best playmakers in football right now. And then up front, this pass rushing unit since week five has the second highest pressure rate in the NFL with their standard rush. When they blitz the quarterback, they have the fifth highest, sorry, third highest sack rate. Uh, and some of that, again, is changes in players. Some veterans have left, Randy Gregory, Frank Clark, young players getting more time. But the end result is they are getting to the quarterback, and the defense is playing much better as a result. Question real quick. The standard rush, what does that mean? Is that specific four guys, or is that the any rush, time yeah. they bring four people? Just four guys. It's any time they bring four people, but the best – combination I asked uh, my friend Keegan Abdo at Next Gen Stats has been Jonathan Cooper, Baron Browning, Nick Bonito and Zach Allen. Baron Browning you remember didn't play at the beginning of the season so yeah. I really think it's a unit that's gotten better as the year has gone on. So Zach Allen was incredible this weekend by so the way. So it's kind of like their their version of NASCAR you know they get their four because Mina like you get the third down against them and we've talked about simulated pressures a ton here. And so yeah. often it's five or six guys up at the line of scrimmage, and it's really those four guys that you talk about. Now, sometimes they'll sprinkle in a linebacker and drop one of them, but it's so often one of those four guys getting into those pass rush situations, edges on a defense, and the speed that the blitz comes at Dude. or that pressure comes at yeah. is, is blinding on tape. <laughs> well, when they bring McMillan in particular, uh, he is a bat out of hell. Yeah. That is the only way I can describe the, the way that down. guy plays football. Singleton, you saw there too. Yeah, they are. Yes, if they if you're in third down against this defense, they get after it. Yep.
Hey guys, we got time for one more thing before we go. Uh, this comes directly from Central Casting in Hollywood. Check out the look of Tommy DeVito's agent, Sean Stilano, <laughs> at last night's Monday Night Football game. You know, he's making some calls. Uh, Dan, I can't do the accent. You, you got something for us there? You wanna, maybe not? Diane accent? Hey. Dan, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna risk this, an yeah, accent Diane, attempt from can I get a, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm feeling dangerous, okay? Can I get a chicken cutlet? <laughs> Fresh mozzarella. Okay, stop. That was it. Moots. Fresh moots. Some vodka sauce. It's got like a tinge of international to it. Um, either way, that agent was really he sound. Well, I don't know, like but me. not like that necessarily. We'll see you tomorrow on NFL Live. Thanks for joining us. Today. Yeah, give me a chicken cutlet.